skipped a few verses last week, and we're going to pick up on them this morning, as well as our text this morning, as we uh, look at God's Word and, and what it is to us, its, its author, its subject, and its purpose. Um, so I'll be reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and following. Listen closely, for this is God's Word. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your uh, minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through Him are believers in God who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. The word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Let's pray. We are thankful for your word, O God. We pray that in these next few minutes, that you would, um, even as we've read here, send your Holy Spirit from heaven to anoint the preacher that he might preach well and and put um, you before uh, our hearts. Lord, point us to Jesus. Change us. pray all these sayings in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, over the last three weeks, including the missions conference, we've been talking a lot about ministries that are involved with spreading, distributing, or translating the Word of God. You'll remember uh, Freddie and Becca Basel with Wycliffe Bible Translators who are involved in this great work finishing the last 1,600 or 2,000 or so uh, last languages in the world that don't have a copy uh, or any, any scripture in their own language. And, and this morning we have the privilege of, of having heard from the Gideons and participating in and being a part of this ministry as we send forth the word of God. But the question is, why is it so important? Why is this a focus of this church rather than something else? And it comes down to the question, what is the Bible? If you go into my office, I have lots of books, and uh, I think I have about 15 or 20 Bibles. But as percentage-wise, that's not a lot for all the books that I have. And, and so what sets those Bibles apart from the rest of the books? 
or in the libraries, our library. It's different. It's the Word of God. It is the mind of God in print. It is what He has given us to reveal Himself to us that we might know what is required of us, that we might know His law and therefore be convicted and might hear those wonderful words of the gospel that if we trust in Christ, we shall not perish but have everlasting life that begins now and continues for all of eternity. It is something altogether other and different and special and amazing and a wonderful gift from the Lord. It is how the Lord converts lost sinners like you and me and grows us in His grace and changes us from the inside as the Holy Spirit uses the Word, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, to, to cut us and remind us of God's love for us. If you look at the inside cover of any book, you will find the uh, Library of Congress catalog information. And the way that the Library of Congress does it is they begin with an author, then a general topic, and then a specific subject. So I want to look in these next few minutes at, at three points. As we look at who wrote the Bible, its subject, and its purpose, using our text from this morning to guide us. You know, the first thing you notice when you pick up a, a book is its title. But the second thing is its author. It may be a book that you'd love to read, but if you look and you see that it was written by a disreputable author, you're not going to care, you're not going to read it, you're not going to pay credence to it. Imagine, if you will, if you were to find two books written about gardening, specifically about how to care for azaleas. And the first was written by our very own Catherine Fountain. And the second was written by yours truly. Drive by my house and you will see the difference. Now, which one are you going to trust? They're both about caring for azaleas. But of course, you're going to care and use uh, Catherine's rather than mine. It would be good for kindling and that's about it. But you know, when we come to pick up the Bible, we notice it it was seemingly written by a lot of different people. So we look at Genesis, written by Moses. So we look at James, written by the brother of James. Look at Revelation, written by John. By the way, Wednesday night we're looking at the life of John. I encourage you to come and spend time with us as we study this amazing apostle. But don't be fooled because they weren't writing just as we might write any letter or any book. God used holy men under the inspiration of His Holy Spirit to write the Word of God. Now it's amazing how He did it. Because you have different vocabularies used in different books. The the syntax of the oldest book in the Bible, Job, is so different from Revelation. Probably written in the 90s after Christ. Written by John and and potentially Job. We're not real sure who wrote Job. But through all of those things, through all the differences, through all the the different foci, through all the different language uh, aspects, and even over three different languages, do you know who the one author of Scripture is? It is God Himself. It is God Himself. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable, therefore, for teaching, for proof, for correction, and training in righteousness. From Genesis 1 1 to Revelation 22 21, it was written by God. And when God is the author, it changes everything. 
You know, my favorite letter that I ever received was from my grandfather. I was overseas and I on a missions trip, and I wrote my grandfather about once a week for about three or four years. And uh, so quite a few letters, probably about 150, 200 letters over those, those years. And do you know he wrote me one letter? It was written on the back of a bank statement, and, uh, and I received it overseas. And it didn't say much. It said, hey, Parker, love you, bye, granddaddy. Uh, but it was because it was who it was from. I still have it. It's precious to me because I love my grandfather. And so our, our word, the word of God, it is given to us and it is special. Because it's God's own word. It is his book. And therefore it's different. We see in verse 23 that these two words, living and abiding. We're going to look at living in a minute. But abiding, it shows up again in verse 25, though it's translated differently. I don't know why. It's the same word. Verse 25 says, but the word of the Lord remains Remains and abiding, it translates the same Greek word. It means to last. It means to endure. It means not to change. It means not to diminish. Or it means to remain steady and consistent no matter what. And in a world that is ever-changing, it is great to know that the Word of God, it remains and abides forever. There's nothing that can change it. The world may say X, but the Bible has always said Y. The world may say there's no salvation in God, but the Word of God says, oh yes, there is. And there's nothing that can take it away. Have you ever tried to shoot at a um, moving target? I used to shoot a lot of skeet. There's something called five stand and sporting clays in which you shoot a whole bunch of different uh, targets. And the hardest one to hit was what's called a springing teal. Springing teal goes straight up and it comes right back down. And the whole time, your lead is changing. Because it is slowing down, it stops, and it comes right back down. It's hard to hit because it is a moving target that is constantly changing its velocity. Isn't it great to know that the Bible isn't like that? That the standards of God, they're not like that? That the gospel is not like that? It's not changing? We don't have to wake up in the morning and say, what does God want me to do today? Did it change? Did He change? God's Word abides. It remains forever. Unlike the word of man, which is easily broken and increasingly cheap, the word of God is trustworthy and enduring. Let me ask you this question. As we think through these amazing aspects of God's word, does our time in God's word reflect the amazing gift that it is? Or is there a disconnect between how amazing it is and how much time we spend in it. The unchangeableness of Scripture is contrasted with everything human. All, gra- all, all flesh is like grass. And all its glory is like the flower of the field, according to Isaiah 40, or the grass here. The grass withers and the flowers, they fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. My grass in summertime will be crunchy. It's full of weeds right now, and the bits that I never raked up, well, it's just dead. And the Isaiahs, after a year of being ugly, they finally bloomed, and now they're gone. Those things, they get crunchy and die, and the Isaiahs, the flowers, they fall. But the word of our God shall remain forever. And as such, it is authoritative. 
As such, what it says has power over my life. As such, it is trustworthy. I can bet my salvation on it. As such, it is completely true even when I don't want it to say what it's saying. Well, the author is God. And that means whatever its subject is must be important. And as we think about what the subject is of Scripture from, from Revelation chapter 1 to, Re- to oh, excuse me, Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 22, 21, it has one topic. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus. I love verses 10 through 12 of our text. It says, It was revealed to them, the old prophets in the Old Testament, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Verse 11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ, don't you let the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Christ, was in, this is the Holy Spirit, was, was inspiring them and pointing them to what the person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ in the subsequent glories. Throughout the Bible, as we read, we find many stories, and I mean true stories, by the way, I don't mean just false stories, of individuals, nations, people, groups, and the like, from the story of David and Goliath to the endless regulations of the sacrificial system and even the Song of Solomon and all its lurid details. Who is the subject of Scripture? It is Jesus. In Luke 24, we have a great vignette of Cleopas, a disciple of Christ and an unnamed disciple. They're sad and they're dejected. They've gone to Jerusalem and they've been there for, most likely at least, for for Jesus' entry on Palm Sunday. And they were there when He was doing miracles. He was there when He was preaching in the the temple and He cleared it. And And then they saw that He was crucified and they didn't know that He'd been raised from the dead. They're going home, they're dejected, they're sad. And suddenly someone comes alongside and is walking with them. And he said, hey, why are you upset? Why are you sad? And he said, are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what has happened? And do you know who this is? It is the resurrected Christ. And as they're walking together, we find in Luke 24, 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Christ, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. According to Jesus, what's the subject of Bible? It's Him pointing us to His salvation that He so graciously gives to us. Salvation comes through Jesus, and therefore it is proper that the subject of all of Scripture is Jesus. There's one hero of Scripture. It's not David. It's not Jonah. He'd be a bad hero. It's it's, it's none of these guys in the Old Testament. It's Jesus. They all point us to Jesus. What is the result? So the, the, the author is God, the subject is Jesus, the result is salvation. The result is salvation. Look again with me at verse 23. And since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. Now in this text, to be fair, the, this, this phrase, the Word... I think generally refers to the Word of God as, as we're using it now, but it, it specifically refers to the Gospel. Uh, it's referring to the good news. We, we learned that in 25. And this word, Logos, I think it's Logos, uh, Horema, is the, is, the, is the good news that was preached to you. But the Word of God is living and is active. 
We find that in Hebrews. Um, how, how How do the recipients of Peter's letter, how do we come to know the Lord? It's through His living Word. You know, if, you, if mold begins to grow in a book, do you know what you have to do with the book? You have two options. You can either put it in the freezer, which will stop the growth of the mold, or you can throw it away. There's nothing else you can do. You can't Clorox it once it gets into the, the fibers of a page so that you cannot get rid of the mold. In fact, a moldy book will destroy a library in, in just a few years. That's a dead book, Right? That's a worthless book. That's a a book that is um, uh, destined for destruction. But the Word of God is living. What does that mean? Does that mean it has teeth? Does that mean that if you put it on your nightstand, when you wake up in the morning, it'll be across the room? Is it living like that? No, it's, it's living in that it causes life. By the work of the Holy Spirit, it quickens. I love that old word, quickens. It means to make alive He will come to judge the quick and the dead. The quick are those who have been made alive, those who are living. It has the power by the Holy Spirit to convert those who are dead, to make those who are dead alive. So what have we learned? We've learned that God has written the Bible and therefore is be precious to us. This is a whole dear that letter from my grandfather is precious to me. How much more the word of God. And it's subject. As I, as I read in the pages of scripture, if I'm reading, is Jesus. And it has great power. The Holy Spirit uses it to make alive those who are dead. But for those who have made alive, like you and me, hopefully, who have already been converted, who know the Lord Jesus Christ, He uses it to strengthen us. He uses it to show us our sin. He uses it to to train us for righteousness. He uses it to put Jesus before us, to change our desires. You want to be changed? You want to put to death sin sin to death in your life? You want to quit uh, having to fall into the same sins? The the best and seemingly only way we know how to do that is by by spending time with God, by the means by which He has called us to spend time with Him. Word, sacraments, and prayer. And we can daily spend time with Him in our quiet place as the Spirit works in us. And yet in light of all this, I think we have a famine of the Word of God in our land, in our community, in our homes. See, as we participate in in giving to the Gideons and sending the the word out, perhaps we ought to send it again to our homes. It might be on our nightstand. It might be on our bookshelves. But it's not in our hearts. May the Lord convict us and give us a hunger and love for His word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the amazing gift that is the Word of God, that You use it to change awful, wretched people like me, to give us salvation, to give us life. Lord, we pray that You would continue to to use it for Your glory, for the strengthening and building of Your kingdom in our hearts, in our church, in this community. Probably saying in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Well, we will stand and sing our, our last and closing hymn. It's in your, uh, in your insert, Ancient